before. The gasman spit out his regulator and screamed, Angel! His face and his arms were on fire, and he felt like he was going to barf. Underwater. How would that even work? Suddenly, the sharks were right there, mouths wide open, full of blood and chunks of something, and stretching, reaching, snapping at. Just water, because Angel was holding up her hand in the universal stop shark attack gesture. She was frowning sternly at the sharks, one hand on her hip. Oh no, you don't, she gurgled loudly, right at the three huge man-eaters. They stopped, and if they'd been on dry land, they would have skidded. As it was, they came to an abrupt, surprised stop, inches away from the three bird kids. Angel shook her finger at them, and the universal gesture for, Bad, bad shark. Gas, Ig, you guys back away really slowly. Gazzy did hear that part of Angel's message, so he touched Iggy's hand, and, gently, they let themselves drift backwards. Gazzy put the regulator back in his mouth, feeling like his lungs were about to burst from lack of air. Looking sheepish, the hammerheads turned and slowly glided back to their group. Once there, they joined the feeding frenzy again. Gosh, they were big, Angel thought to Gazzy and Iggy. Gazzy nodded trying not to cry from the pain in his face and arms. We need to get you out of here, Angel went on sympathetically. You got stung by something. Can you do a burst out of the water to get airborne? Gazzy had felt a lot of pain in his life, but this was different. A horrible, searing sensation, as if someone were holding a lit match to his face and arms. Underwater. He nodded bravely to Angel hoping he wouldn't shriek when the warm air made the burning feel worse. Okay, then, Angel commanded Gazzy and Iggy. Hunch down, gather your strength, then burst up through the water as hard as you can. As soon as you're in the air, snap out your wings, okay? On any other day, Gazzy would have said, Who died and made you, Max? But, all things considered, he could barely think straight. He was thankful that Angel was taking charge. He managed to nod again, then concentrated on balling up his muscles. One, two, three. Gazzy's face mask was filling with tears, but he hunched down and surged toward the surface. When he broke through the water, he stretched out his wings, pushing down and pulling up as hard as he could. He rose in the air slowly at first, then powerfully and fast, relief beginning to wash over him only to collide with something hard and huge right above him. Oof. Gezi let out a strangled cry. It felt like his face and arms were splitting open. Then he felt himself falling. And this time, he didn't think he'd manage to save himself. Chapter 45 Raptive vision allows us to see tiny things from great heights and to see incredibly well in the dark and in much more detail than regular people. But, for the life of me, I couldn't tell what that thing was, shooting toward us. If it's heat-seeking, we should go underwater, Fang said tensely. It'll still get us, but maybe some poor whale or dolphin will confuse it. Great. A lovely choice. I squinted, wishing the rolling bank of thick gray clouds hadn't totally covered the moon. But, wait. Fang, that thing has wings. 
Is it like an albatross? What's the biggest seabird there is? Fang frowned and tilted his head. Uh, what kind of seabird wears preppy topsiders? My eyes went wide as I stared first at Fang, then at the dark thing. Oh my god, it is wearing topsiders. It's Nudge. Because, I mean, how many preppy mutant bird kids are there? Not a lot. Fang and I poured on the speed, scanning the whole sky as we streaked towards Nudge. My Nudge. Nothing seemed to be pursuing her. She was flying fast, but not panicky. Now we were close enough to see her long ringlets streaming out in back of her, her bright white smile shining in the deep night sky. My heart swelled, and I admitted to myself how much I'd missed her. How worried I'd been. How hurt I'd felt that she'd chosen safety, calm, and education over us. Nudge! I shrieked, and she beamed and waved. Just then, something huge shot out of the water and slammed into her. It shoved her off balance, knocking the wind out of her. Fang and I surged forward, going into battle mode. Then, two more things shot out of the water, as if launched from a huge slingshot. Two large, wet, familiar things. Max! Angel? Get Cassie! He's hurt! Oh, Nudge? Angel, hi! Fang swooped down and scooped up Gazzy, who had some weird contraption hanging off his head. His eyes were closed, and his face looked like a bulldozer had run over it. He's hurt. Angel said again. Nudge, I can't believe you're back. Here's what I was feeling. Elation about seeing Nudge again. Alive and unhurt. Worry over Gazzy, who was now unconscious as we raced back toward the naval base. A guilty thrill over what was happening between me and Fang. When will it happen again? Lingering anxiety about my mom. A deep, abiding contentment that we were all together again. The six of us. My flock. My family. Not bad for someone who hates emotions. Chapter 46 It turned out that Gazzy had been stung by a Portuguese man-o'-war. An incredibly dangerous and even deadly jellyfish. Actually, it's not a real jellyfish, the Navy doctor explained. So its toxins are different, and we treat it differently. I offered to pee on him, but they said no. Iggy said, sounding disappointed. The Navy doctor smiled. That was once thought to be acceptable treatment. Vinegar, too. But actually, it's most important to remove any tentacles to prevent further discharge of venom. Rinsing the sting thoroughly with salt water can help. All of us bird kids have had days when we look like we'd been put in a blender set to whip. As many fights as we've been in, as many hard places as we've been, odds are that someone has at least a black eye, if not broken bones, on any given day. But Gazzy looked really bad. They'd removed the man-of-war with gloved hands, dunked Gazzy in salt water, slathered him with goo, and given him a bunch of shots, and he still looked like he'd been dragged behind a chariot for a couple miles. Of course, seeing the wings had freaked everyone out. But this was the U.S. military, and they got over it real fast. I mean, if they can deal with Area 51, they can handle anything, right? Including Total, who had left Aquila back at the hut, and come at Angel's request. He's going to sleep for about a day, the Navy doctor said with a smile. These stings really take it out of you. I glanced at the wall clock. 
We're getting on a sub in six hours. Oh, no, said the doctor. He can't go anywhere. Trust me, he's going to feel terrible when he wakes up. There's no way he's getting on a submarine. It's taken me a while, but I've learned not to pointlessly butt heads about dumb decisions that I don't have to follow anyway. It's been a real step of personal growth for me. So now, for instance, I didn't even argue with the doctor. Instead, I got organized. I sent Fang and Iggy off to find food, got a debriefing from Angel about the adventures they'd had underwater while they were supposed to be tucked into bed, and finally, finally, curled up in the hospital armchair with Nudge while she told us all about being a real kid at school. It was awesome, Nudge admitted. I loved it. In just a few days, I learned more than I'd learned from weeks of watching TV. That's good, I forced myself to say, and given my highly developed skills of deception, I even sounded very sincere. I'm glad to see you're still among the winged. Nudge looked embarrassed. Yeah, but anyway, I realized I just missed you guys so much, and I was too worried about your mom, she told me. I had to be here to help, if I could. I hugged her. I'm so glad to have you back. Although, you missed all the BS. What? The others filled her in while I checked on Gazzy and watched the clock. The doctor said the Gazman would sleep for a day, which I took to be about four hours in bird kid time. Sure enough, about 4.30 in the morning, he woke up. It was time to head down to the dock. I wasn't going to risk missing the sub. It felt like a month ago my mom had been kidnapped. Who knew what had happened by now? You good to go? I asked Gazzy, fluffing his saltwater sticky hair with my fingers. He did a systems check. Then nodded. Yep, feel like crap, but I'm okay. He looked pretty tough with that face, I said admiringly, and he gave a pleased smile. Okay, troops, let's mobilize, I said. We were all a little punchy from lack of sleep, but I knew a couple cups of coffee would perk us right up. Whoa, hold it, said a voice. It was the nice doctor, standing in the doorway, holding Gazzy's chart. Sorry, I said briskly. We've got a sub to catch. He can't go anywhere. The doctor looked appalled. People stay in bed for days after a man of war sting. We heal fast, Gezi said modestly. We were hoping for a chance to study you some more, the doc admitted. I sighed. If I got a nickel every time I heard that. Okay, guys, let's go. The doctor planted his feet, crossed his arms, and blocked the door to the hallway. I'm sorry, I can't let you leave. Uh-huh. I looked at Fang. In seconds, he'd crossed the room, opened the casement window, and jumped out. Total jumped out after him. A nurse, passing by in the hallway, screamed and dropped an armful of files. Gazzy was next. Thanks for everything, Doc. He said, then leaped lightly out. He dropped out of sight, but soon rose, working his wings powerfully looking good. Someone yelled, There goes another one! As I was busy hustling Iggy and Nudge out the window. Finally, it was my turn, and I hopped up to the window ledge. Thanks again, I said politely. But, like I said, we've got a sub to catch. Then, I let myself fall out the window, watching the ground rush up from six stories below. 
I spread my wings and felt the air press against them as I soared with the flock. I loved that feeling. I loved that feeling. Relished that freedom. The sky was still pre-dawn dark. The wind fresh, but not cool. Finally, it was time. I'm coming, Mom. I'm coming to rescue you. Chapter 47 Here were two things I hadn't thought about when I'd insisted that the Navy lend us a sub for the rescue. One, the flock and I are just about the most claustrophobic life forms you'll ever meet. And two, we would be trapped in a relatively small, airtight space with the gas man. Now I was on the dock, staring at the open hatch, with its narrow ladder leading straight down. We'd spent a lot of time on the Windy Cay, the research boat in Antarctica, so we knew that boat interiors were small and compact. But I hadn't really thought about how much more compact a submarine would be. The USS Minnesota was a really big submarine, by substandards. But it was still smaller than, say, Disney World, or an open wide beach, or a desert, or, hey, the entire freaking sky. Uh, Max, you gonna go? Nudge asked. There were two officers waiting for us. The seconds were ticking by. It looked like I'd be climbing into a huge coffin. It felt like that, too. I could not be a total wuss in front of all these people, especially the flock. I flicked a glance at Fang, and his face showed me that he understood what I was feeling, but he knew that I knew that I just had to suck it up and get on the dang sub. I felt a cold sweat break onto the back of my neck. My throat was closing. My chest felt tight. I had an image of me trapped on the sub, underwater, crying and clawing at the metal walls to get out. Oh, jeez. I was wishing I hadn't had that third espresso. I swallowed hard and tried to draw in a breath. I remembered that we were doing this to rescue my mom, who had saved my own life more than once. I remember that she's being held captive in a sub, probably not half as nice as this one. It's a sub, Max, urged Total, who was suffering from a bad case of missing a Kila Blues. Not a vat of boiling oil. Get on already, and let's see if they have any croissants. I'm starving. I took a big step forward, off the dock and onto the metal walkway that led to the top of the sub. Not the sticking up part of the sub, but the top side of its nose. I don't know the technical term. There was an open hatch there, and I strode toward it, trying to keep the abject terror from showing on my face. I began to climb down the ladder, managing a smile and a wave that I hoped was at least in the neighborhood of Jaunty. Then Gazzy stopped on the walkway, followed by Total and I knew the others weren't far behind. There was no going back now. Get this. If there was nothing inside the submarine, it might not be so bad. It really was a great big one. On the outside. On the inside, it was cramped and chock full of people, walls of instruments, panels of lights and switches, huge pipes and bundles of thick cables. Basically, there was hardly any room to walk. And we're skinny. There were not enough relaxation tapes in the world to get me through this. Then, Fang came up behind me and put his hand on my waist, just for a second. And I felt a little better. The two officers zipped down the ladder, and one of them shouted the order to seal the hatch. Then, he looked at us. These six weird, mostly tall, somewhat ungroomed children who had permission to be on this naval submarine. Plus their dog, who almost seemed like he could talk. 
Come with me, he said. The birds are working again. Chapter 48 Walking through the narrow corridors of the sub was like being inside someone's intestines, like we were making our way through the digestive tract. I kept expecting the magic school bus to show up and dump bile on us. I absolutely refused to think about the fact that we were sealed inside this thing, sinking below the surface of the water. I kept repeating, we're saving my mom, over and over inside my head. The officer stopped outside a door. All the doorways on the sub are shaped like Vienna finger cookies. Kind of oblong. Each door has a sill about six inches high, so that if the sub springs a leak and water gets in, each room could be sealed off. Oh god, I was gonna die. We stepped over the threshold and found ourselves in a small conference room. A tall man with short silver hair and dark brown eyes stood up and smiled. I'm Joshua Perry, he said, coming to shake hands with all of us. I understand we have a mission to accomplish. This wasn't what I was expecting. Your mind creates your reality. If you expect nothing, you open the universe up to give you options. If you expect the worst, you usually get it. The voice. That really was the voice. Not my own thoughts, and not something Angel was beaming into my brain. It was the voice, loud and clear. And it had apparently been watching Oprah again. Uh, voice? Not that I'm not glad to hear you again, but this sub is already awfully crowded. And so is the inside of my head. So this might not be the best time. Max? Captain Perry was looking at me. Sorry, what? We haven't had any direct word about your mother. However, late last night, the following surveillance film was taken in the same Genoa area as the first one you saw. It looks strange because it was taken with a night vision camera. Someone dimmed the lights, and an image flickered on a white screen at one end of the room. It looked like daytime, except darker and kind of greenish. It was, like before, a huge expanse of featureless ocean covered with the shiny sides of dead, floating fish, as far as the eye could see. And attacking the seafood buffet were thousands of seabirds, who had clearly heard about the 100 for the price of one special. We don't know what killed these fish, said the captain. Several were recovered and tested. They were negative for traumatic injury, bacteria, parasites, starvation, fungal illnesses, cancers, enzyme imbalances, and gas bubble disease. They're simply dead, and we don't know why. Mass suicide? Total muttered, clearly wishing he was back at the base with Aquila. Then, look at this, said Captain Perry, pointing with a laser pin. The image pulled back. The camera was clearly attached to a rising helicopter. When the copter was quite high, it changed direction, as if heading back to land. All of a sudden, in one tiny corner of the image, an enormous dark thing burst out of the water, sending dead fish flying everywhere and making the birds scatter. The camera quickly swung back to focus on it, and the helicopter started dropping altitude. But within moments, the dark thing was gone without a trace. We've watched this film a hundred times now, said Captain Perry, and we still can't tell what that was. It was almost like a mountain suddenly emerged from the ocean, then disappeared just as quickly but sonar images show no large masses in that area whatsoever. 
The lights flickered back on. What does this have to do with my mom? I asked. Captain Perry looked frustrated. We don't know. In the earlier video, we saw part of the wrecked fishing boat in the background of the picture of Dr. Martinez being held hostage. This happened in the same area. The two instances of the dead fish, the enormous flock of birds, the huge thing rising out of the ocean. They're connected somehow. We just don't know how. Everything is connected, Max, said the voice. Everything affects everything else, especially in the ocean. I gritted my teeth in frustration. I'd forgotten how incredibly annoying the voice could be, with its fortune cookie pronouncements. It's all got to be connected somehow, I said. Are we headed there now? Captain Perry nodded. We're keeping on code red alert status, with full radar and sonar surveillance. We don't want that mountain to surge back up and break us in half. My eyes went wide. Was that even a possibility? Why hadn't someone told me this? Why was I even on this sub? If there's anything guaranteed to make me hyperventilate, it's being stuck in a place I can't punch my way out of. It's okay, Max. I had to stop for a second and distinguish that this voice inside my head was Angel, not the voice voice. It's okay, Max. Angel thought again. If anything happens, we can all breathe underwater, remember? It's like when we're on an airplane. If anything happens to it, we know six kids who will be fine. Same thing here. If anything happens to the sub, the six of us will be able to breathe through our gills. Trust me. Oh, right. Our gills would appear. Excellent. Now I felt better. Not. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum Red Bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your Oliver Markey. And sorry about any weird background sounds in this episode. It is currently July 2nd as I'm recording this, and my neighbors decided to go ham with the fireworks. Even though I don't think we're supposed to have fireworks in this neighborhood, but whatever. Anyway, uh, I hope all of the American people hearing this episode had a decent 4th of July, had a good time hanging out, cooking out, fireworking? I don't know what you're supposed to do on 4th of July, but uh, whatever you did, I hope you had a good time. I don't really have any announcements or anything, so I'm gonna go straight into the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the YouTube series Confinement. Confinement is an animated series about a guy named Connor, who is an SCP. An SCP is a creature or object or place that is secured, contained, and protected by an organization of the same name. And they basically collect, you know, weird objects, places, things, people who could possibly pose a threat to the rest of humanity. Uh, if you're interested, just search up SCP. There is a huge archival website full of stuff like that. If you really like doing deep dives, I highly, highly suggest going to the SCP wiki and just reading through some of the articles. They're very weird and very strange, but it's a really fun time. But the thing about Connor is that he is anomalous where he can't die, sort of. 
every time he does die, he basically just comes back and regenerates as himself. So because of that, he ends up being used as a test dummy for any dangerous experiment that the SCP Foundation might have. So Confinement is about Connor's time at the SCP Foundation and kind of talking to other SCPs, kind of learning more about himself and learning about his past, which is really intriguing. The series isn't finished and it looks like it went on a hiatus in 2020, which is incredibly unfortunate, but it's still a really fun watch if you want to kill like 45 minutes. I really like the style that it's done in. I feel like it fits the story very well. And there are a couple of like short episodes, like bonus specials and stuff like that, that are also very cool. So that is the YouTube series Confinement. And I will leave a link in the show notes to that if you want to go watch it. But before you do, be aware that you know how I said every time Connor dies, he regenerates. When that happens, his old body doesn't go away and it's still just like a bloody mass on the floor. So if you don't like seeing stuff like that or a guy getting repeatedly killed multiple times, uh, this may not be a series for you. But I just wanted to put that warning out there just in case. But I will leave a link to confinement in the show notes. Alrighty, if you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. And if you want to leave me a rating or review, that would be super cool of you to do. Alrighty, I think that's all I got to say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. <laughs>